You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Benjamin. I'm one of the pastors here. And I am hoping that you are free indeed, as we just sang about. We're going to talk about a certain kind of freedom that hopefully, if you're not, you can be free of later in your life. But before we get into that, just uh, to build on the announcement that was made, men, if you haven't signed up for Ready Men, sign up. It's not for old men. It's not for young men. It's not for middle-aged men. It's for all men. So if last time you checked you were a man, we want you to be there. We want you to hear some straightforward man talk, as I would normally hold back when women and children are around. No holding back. If you want to make some friends, because lots of men tell me, I don't have any friends, any close male friends, it's for you. We're going to have a meal. It's going to be a great meal. Carla and the team are putting it on, so we need you to sign up so that we know how many people to feed. As well, next week, just a reminder is you don't have to have a mask on when you come to church. So if you want to wear a mask, by all means wear a mask. Wear one, wear two, wear three. That's your personal and free choice to do that. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. But what I do hope you're going to do is behave and act in a way and treat each other, whether you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, in a way that would make Christ proud of you and glorify his name so we can keep that great unity that we've had. Well, we're in message four. If you have a study guide, if you were here the first three weeks, you would have got a study guide. You can pick that up and open it to chapter four. This is message four out of five in our money series, God or Money, Who's Running Your Life? Why are we learning about money? Why are we bringing up this issue and talking about it for five weeks? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Here's a few. Because for most Christians, the number one thing competing for first place in their life is money. Jesus wants first place in your life, but money for many is what is competing for that place. For many of you, well, statistically speaking, the number one cause of marital problems for most couples is money. The num- one of the top stressors for people, anxiety is money. And God has a lot to say about it, so it must be important. So that's why we've been talking about it for the last three weeks. And hopefully, uh, we've been reshaping our minds from a worldly perspective on money and finances to a biblical perspective on money and finances. And I know we've been dealing with some big issues. For many, some of you, it might be uncomfortable with talking about some of these issues. But I love you enough to want you to know what God has to say about it. Because it really doesn't matter what I have to say about it. It really doesn't matter what you have to say about it. It matters what God has to say about it. And so we are going to spend today and next Sunday in it. And then we are going to move into Palm Sunday. And we're going to hear about that glorious uh, time. And then we're going to talk about Easter, uh, where we get our hope from. And then after that, a week or two after that, we are going to start our spring and summer series, which we are going to be preaching through uh, the greatest sermon by the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be in that from the spring all the way to the end of the summer, verse by verse, topic after topic. But today, we have the dreaded D word, 
debt. We are going to talk about debt. And you may be surprised to find out that the Bible has nothing positive to say about debt. God has not one good thing to say about going into debt. So let me just pray before we look at that. God, well, I know we're all here with different challenges in our life. It's, it's not easy, uh, especially raising a family in the day in which we live and trying to uh, pay for your bills and, and put away and own your own house. There's many challenges in, in our society today. Lord, there's, there's many people struggling in relational challenges here today, and there's, there's people struggling with self-esteem and anxiety issues. Lord, I just pray um, wherever we are that we would be able to set that aside and look at what you have to say, both your warnings and your promises. And Lord, if this is such a burden on people's lives, if debt is such a burden, I pray that we would be willing today to give over uh, these ways and these habits that we've developed uh, in the way we spend money and do things your way. And you've promised, Lord, that we can be free, financially free, if we do things your way. Help me, a simple man, to talk about this complex subject in Jesus' name. Amen. So our key verse today is Proverbs 22, verse 7. And now this is a good verse to memorize yourself, to know this in your head. I'll read it. We'll reference it a few times later throughout. Typically, we preach verse by verse through a book. About 10% of the time, we'll go topical. And so for a sermon like this, when we're looking at a large swath of verses, which are all referenced, some of the ones we're going to go through are referenced. Uh, They're all, and then there's some more in your books to look at. Uh, You can also make notes about them, but they're all going to be on the overhead. So let's read it together. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The word borrower in the Hebrew uh, means to be joined. Uh, so in essence, what he's saying is the rich rule over the poor, and the, the person joined is a slave to the lender. When you borrow money, you become chained joined to whoever you're borrowing that from. Now, there's a few key words that I'm going to be referencing that you may not know, so I'm just going to define them. The first word in your study guide you're going to see is appreciation. And that is when the value of something increases over a period of time. And I'll reference this, things uh, that that will increase in value. That may be your home. That may be sometimes stocks. That may be sometimes uh, food and commodities like that, uh, that they increase over time. And so there is some room, the Bible would say, for going into debt for a thing that will increase your value. That's why the Jews so prized the land because it was something they could pass down from generation to generation. Then there's this word depreciation. And, and that's when something, the value of something is reduced over time. And that is what we are going to find. And if you really look at your life, we spend a lot of our money on. We go into a lot of debt to buy stuff that isn't worth as much after a month or a year as when we paid for it and go into debt for it. Another word is currency. And, and currency is, is what we would reference money. Re- really, it's currency, but we know it as money. Right, I have this $50 trillion Zimbabwe bill. Uh, this was currency. It was once worth whatever $50 trillion could buy at the height of inflation. It, it's, it's the same as it's this $20 bill, this Canadian. It's currency, or as we would call it as money. And, and we have to understand that the value of this is based off of other people's faith in it. So nobody has faith 
in this $50 trillion Zimbabwe bill anymore. People still have an element of faith, not as much as they used to, in this. And that's going to be important for your understanding of money. So I've got six reasons why debt defeats most people's life, why most people are in bondage to debt, and why the Bible says you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't be involved in it for the most part. So there's that key verse again, Proverbs 22, verse 7. The ritual rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to lenders. Point one, debt chains us to other masters. Why shouldn't we be involved in debt? Why shouldn't we take on a lot of debt to buy stuff? Because it chains us, joins us to other masters. That person, that entity, that company that you take, go into debt for, that you borrow from, becomes a power over your life. And in many cases, a master of your life. If you don't pay your visa, guess what visa's going to do? I'll just let you off the hook. They're going to take you to court. They're going to maybe garnish your wages. They're going to smear your name by destroying your credit history. If you don't pay your mortgage, guess what the bank's going to eventually do? Come, kick you out, take your house, and you're going to have to claim bankruptcy. And Jesus doesn't want you to have other masters. Jesus says, I am the only the one to be your only master. That's what we talked about in the first sermon. He doesn't want you becoming joined to other entities that will influence and have power over you to be able to tell you what you can and can't do. And this is seen all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament when God was establishing Israel as a nation. In Exodus 22, verse 25, he says this, If you lend silver to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a creditor to him. You must not charge him interest. Wow. That certainly wouldn't be popular in our days. Why does God say this? Because God doesn't want heavy chains placed on his people, by his people. And so when he would say, if you're going to lend to a person, there may be times when that person is in trouble, they're poor, they need to buy food, they've had a drought, their crops didn't, didn't come up, and you need to lend them money so they can survive. Don't make the chains heavy upon them. Don't lend to them so that they just go into greater and greater bondage. To you. Another one, Deuteronomy chapter 15. God hated so debt so much that every seven years, listen to this, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. That'd be a popular one nowadays, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we love to get our debts canceled after seven years? But God didn't want his people to be generationally indebted. And that's what would happen. If debts weren't canceled, the interest would be so much that it would just build upon, build upon, and it would be passed down from generation. And the generation, the children would go into slavery to pay the parents' debt. Paul reminds us in Romans 13, verse 8, he says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another for the... For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. See, there's a lie that debt tells you. It's the same lie that most sin tells you, and it's this. You can handle just a little bit. It's manageable. Just partake a little bit, and it'll be fine. Right? But that's the lie. Uh, Because the deeper you go into debt, the more you depend on more debt, 
to handle that debt. And the less God becomes your master, the less God is your master, and the more that debt controls your life and is your master. And so a lot of people think, well, I can handle it. Right, we take on debt thinking, well, I can handle this, I can pay it back in, in this amount of time. And, and for some people, that's true. But Equifax tells us, and this is current uh, as of 2021, that 45% of people who have credit card debt do not pay that off every month. That, uh, sorry, yes, uh, sorry, 45% are the only ones that pay it off every month. So 55% don't pay it off and continues to build and they make minimum payments or smaller payments. And so at a 19.99% interest, if you have, which most of you would have a credit card at that, that interest starts to build and it becomes overwhelming after a while. But you become chained to whatever that is that is borrowing, that you're borrowing from. So you become chained to Visa. You become chained to Ford. You become chained to TD. They become your master. They become the thing that overwhelms your mind. They control your life as you're trying desperately to get out from underneath the debt. And so you think about a financially free person, a person that follows God's recipe, his blueprint for managing finances. They now have the freedom to give most of their life to the building the kingdom of God. They don't have the anxiety about paying bills. They don't have to focus most of their time on acquiring money so that they can pay off all the many debts that they've acquired. That is why God wants you to be financially free, so that you can focus on building the kingdom instead of serving the masters of debt. My hope and my desire, as I've uh, told my wife, is that sometime between the age of 55 and 60, we're in a financially uh, a stable enough position that I don't really need to work for money, that I can give myself specifically to the kingdom of God and work just in ways that God has gifted me to, that I don't have to work into my old age just to get money, just to pay bills, just to save up for retirement, that if we follow God's principles by time we reach that age, be able to just focus on the kingdom of God. That's my hope and, and dream. Number two, debt risks the future to provide for the present or the current. Now I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Okay, so in 1991, I don't know how old you were, I was 11 years old at the time, the average Canadian uh, person, the average Canadian citizen had 88% uh, debt-to-income ratio. So that means for every dollar they made, they owed 88 cents, all right? So that was 31 years ago. At the time of writing this, or as of, as of now, the average Canadian owes $1.88. So for every dollar they make in personal uh, income, they owe $1.88. That's record highs. That's higher than mostly every country, I think, besides one in the world out of the developed nations. At the time of writing this, Canada's national debt, okay, was one point, is $1.8 trillion. Now, that might not seem a lot compared to the U.S., but it is historically high. In 2015, Canadians' national debt was $692 billion, okay? So Canada started using the, the dollar, okay, the Canadian dollar in 1858. So for 158 years, from 1858 to 2015, they amassed $692 Okay, it's 158 years. But in the last seven years, they have increased that by two and a half times the amount to 
trillion. They have just become so dependent on debt that in order to handle their business, they need to take on more and more debt. So how did we personally and nationally come to this place or get to the state? We felt it was good and it was normal to take from the future to support the present. But when we do that, it risks the future. So we had this period, this booming market between 2010 and 2019. And instead of taking some and putting it away for lean times, we spent, spent, spent. We spent all that we had and we spent as a nation personally and naturally in ourselves into debt. And so now we are getting into the lean times and we have nothing left. And we have to understand that there will always be lean times. God promises good times of prosperity. God promises lean times. And in the Bible, we see several periods uh, or times when God would say, take while the times are good and set aside for the lean times. We see it in Genesis uh, chapter 40 and 41, when Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. We actually find out that God did it. He allowed it to happen so that Joseph could reach a place um, of authority in Egypt that he would have the influence because God knew that there was lean times and good times coming. And so he tells Joseph to tell Pharaoh that this is what's going to happen. And and I'll read it in Genesis 41 verses uh, 28. He says, it is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance is coming throughout the land. After them, seven years of famine will take place. And all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance of, in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows. And the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, that it means this matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to set him up over the land of Egypt. And what he does is uh, Pharaoh establishes Joseph as the man. And Joseph, in the seven years of abundance, takes a portion and sets it aside for the seven years of hardship and famine that is coming. And so God wants us to do the same. And you know, it's human tendency uh, to think it'll never happen again. I, I'm always amazed at, human, uh, at the human tendency to believe the things that happened in the past will never happen again. Like, okay, let's look at this from a, and I was looking at this uh, back in the, the early 2000s, that epidemiologists were saying, you know what, every... 70 to 100 years, there is usually uh, some sort of pandemic that will come, a lot more severe than the one we just had, uh, like, some, like the Spanish flu or the bubonic plague that will come, and we need to be prepared for that. Uh, they were warning governments, they were, you can look, they were warning several places, our government and other governments, prepare, put aside masks, put aside critical infrastructure that will be able to, when it meets, when that comes, you'll be able to spring into action. And you know what governments and voters who put them in charge did? Meh. Meh. It's not important. It won't happen again. It may happen again, but it won't happen again. And so, when it sprang two years ago and we didn't have enough masks and we didn't have enough uh, stuff to arm the nurses and doctors, we saw it play out. And you know what? It, uh, we see it with military history as well. Military historians would tell us that, you know, historically speaking, every 40 to 70 years, there is a war. 
And that if, if the good guys let their armies become weakened and they give their, all their money to, to public programs and they don't keep a strong military as a deterrent to the evil forces of the world, then the evil forces of the world will come and wreak havoc. And you know what? As people were warning, you know, China is really building its military. It's, it's become the second largest or the largest navy in the world. It has the largest military in the world. And Russia is really investing in a lot of uh, state-of-the-art weaponry. And we really need a strong NATO, uh, military historians were telling us. Voters and government are like, meh. Well, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen again. And it is. And so in the same way, monetary history, over 6,000 years of monetary history, and the Bible, more importantly, tells us that there will be lean times. And that during the good times, you prepare for the lean times. You don't go into debt in the good times, or you'll have nothing left for the hard times. Point three. Most debt is taken on because we are not content with our lives. Reuters recently reported that 2021 uh, was the second largest increase in history, in Canadian and American history, in consumer uh, spending and debt. So the second largest year uh, was 2021. The largest ever in history was 2007. Didn't something happen in 2008? I think it did. Um, Yeah, it was a hard, lean year. Right, and so we just think about it. Uh, in 2021, a lot of gyms were closed, uh, movies were closed, sports were closed, a lot of stores were closed, right? Restaurants were closed, and yet people spent uh, as much, except for one year, as they ever have in history in Canada and the U.S. on their personal consumer debt. Consumer debt in Canada sits at 2.08 trillion dollars right now. And so the culture that we live in, we have to understand, Christians, it applauds immediate gratification. It wants you to just buy without thinking. You see something, you grab it, you buy it. Consequences, it doesn't matter. But that's not what God wants for you because that leads to bondage. And God wants freedom. God wants you to use something called a budget and save and put aside so that you can purchase the things that you want to buy. Hebrews 13.5 tells us to keep your life free from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. Keep your life free from the love of of money, or more importantly, the love of what this stuff, this currency, will get you. And we talked about the lie in our in the first sermon that I preached in this series, the lie that money has to you. And and here's the lie: if you have me, you'll be content. Just a little bit more. If you can get your income from uh, forty to sixty thousand, you'll be content. And then when you get it there, if you can get it to eighty thousand. You'll be content. And then if you can get it to 100,000, you'll be content, right? But debt is the lie of debt is just an extension of that. If, if I know you spent all your money, but if you just borrow a little bit more on your credit card and buy that new thing that you don't have money for, you'll be happy. And then you get that new thing and you're like, no, I'm not happy, right? It's the lie that, that so many Christians are deceived into believing that if you just get more, 
you'll be content. But Christ says, Paul tells us to be content, to not love money, but to be content with what God has given you. Because God has offered you himself. And whatever he's given you, he says, needs to be enough until you've saved up enough to buy it. And that leads me to my fourth point. Most debt is taken out to buy things that God has not provided us with the money to buy. And the second message uh, on this series, we looked at the, the parable of the talents, um, right? That God, that Jesus gave three different people three different amounts, all right? He gave one one, he gave one uh, three, and he gave one five, I believe. And, and so he doesn't tell them, go out and borrow more. No, he gives it to them and he expects it's going to be adequate for them to go and do something with it. He tells them, go and be useful, build the kingdom, right? With your time, talents, and treasures, and, and not to borrow more. And... So that tells me that I don't, I personally, and I've heard many Christian uh, financial guys say that a person shouldn't have a credit card if they don't have enough cash to pay off that credit card every month. Right? A credit card can be good for building credit or getting your points if you can pay it off every month. And so over half of people can't pay it off. And so it becomes a snare and it becomes a trap. And you are lo- less likely to spend. Uh, large amounts of money if you pay for it with cash. And so if you can't pay it off every month, you shouldn't have a credit card. Creditcards.com reports uh, and tells us that you spend, or the average person spends about 25% more when they pay with a credit card or debit than when they pay with cash. Why? Because this hurts. Right? You can tap, tap, tap that credit card until it says insufficient funds. And in your mind, you're like, oh, I've got 500, and you tap it. And oh, I think I've got about 400, and then you tap it, and you tap it. Right? And then you get your visa statement, and you're like, whoa, how did I spend so much? Right? But when you pay for something, if I hand them a 20, and it's $16, I get 4 bucks back. I'm like, whoa, I only have 4 bucks left. And so the Bible tells us uh, that in order to be financially secure, we should set aside and save because God is going to give us what he finds or what he feels we're responsible with, right? We talked about how we look at our lives as stewards and that God rewards the good stewards, um, but he doesn't give more to those who manage what he gives them poorly. And so going into debt to buy stuff that he hasn't given you money for isn't good stewarding. Proverbs 21 verse Uh, 20 says that precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of the wise person, but the fool consumes them all. So what's he telling us? Well, if you look at it in its its original, uh, it's it's saying that that the storehouses um, of a wise man, uh, so like the bank account, the storage room, has uh, plenty saved up. Oil was a commodity that people would trade. In lots of the world, they still trade things. They barter things, right? They don't necessarily have all currency. They don't necessarily use it. So, so the Bible is telling us that a wise person puts some aside. They've got some saved. But a fool just spends everything they get, right? And, and that's the way a lot of people live. They get it, they spend it, and then they spend on top of what they don't have by going into debt. But that's not the way we honor God as being good stewards. So the next time uh, you feel the urge uh, to put stuff on your credit card, you have to stop and ask yourself, do I have enough money to pay this off at the end of the month so that I don't get charged 20% interest? If not, I should save for it. Point five, 
debt leads to more debt, which often leads to poverty. I'm going to throw out some numbers here. It's like a weird world we live in right now. It's weird in many ways. But like, just let's look at the, think about the, the times we live in, especially if you grew up in, say, the 80s and the 90s, and you remember the house of a price, the price of a house, they would say it wouldn't, if you'd have to stay in a house five years to, to break even, and after the five-year point, after the real estate fees and everything, then you would start to make some money off of a house, right? That's historically um, what it was. But, but now, like, Houses are just going out of control because this currency is losing its value, okay? The more that the government makes and throws out there, the, the more of these there are and the less valuable they are. It's not the house that is more valuable. It's that it takes more of these because this is less valuable to buy the house. And so I was, my wife and I, sometimes we like to go on MLS and look at different places and like, and like gasp when we see the prices of, of houses. And so we were looking in Owen Sound where I used to live. And my old house was for sale again. It's for sale right now. And I sold it in 2011 for $250,000. And I thought that was an astronomical amount of money when I was 31, uh, that much money. You know what it's for sale for right now? $789,000. So that house was made, I think, in 80. So for 31 years, its value was its value worked up to 250000 But in just over 10 more years, it's over tripled in value as this loses its value. So people think they're rich. It's kind of this deceiving trap. People are like, oh, I'm rich now. My house is worth this much more. Uh, and so now what is happening, the Wall Street Journal reports that, th- at least in America, there's this new trend that people are quitting their jobs because they're getting more in their, in 2021, the average house price rose more than the average worker's yearly salary. Get it? So people are like, I'm rich. I'm rich. So there, some people are quitting their jobs. And Equifax reports that there was a 60% increase in home equity lines of credit. So people are like, I'm rich. I'm quitting my job. And I'm drawing money from my house that's gone up in value, or they think it has, with the idea that it's always going to go up in value. That in another 10 years, it, my house in Owen Sound will be worth $2.5 million, right? But it's ridiculous. If we look at it in history, we're like, this is ridiculous. This can't last. Something is going to come apart. And we have to stop and say, why is this? Because we have, the government has created an artificial environment, right? It's not a real environment. Like if somebody is severely ill, in order to keep them alive, they put them on life support, right? And, and artificially, they're kept alive. It's not that their body is doing it on their own. It's not like we have a healthy economy and things are in good shape. If you can put the next slide up. And how do they do that? Well, they do it by creating a lot of money and keeping interest rates low. So this is a chart showing historical interest rates back to the 1940s. And you can see, historically, it's about 6%. And it went way up in the 80s, uh, upwards of 21% in some places. But historically, it's around 6%. And then it dropped off, if you notice, from 2010. And then it dropped off again to pretty much 0% interest. We've, been in, we've had the lowest interest rates for the longest period of history. They raised it by a quarter of a percent. And everyone's like, oh, a quarter of a percent. In the 80s, when inflation was ravaging like it is now, you know what the interest rate was at that time before they jacked it up? 6%. So think about that. It was 6% when inflation was like it is now. 
and they go up, it's pretty much, it's like at, like what, a one now? So they raise it a quarter percent, and everyone's like blowing their gaskets. Why? Because they know if it goes up a few more percent, kabooey, the whole thing starts to fall apart, which leads to poverty, right? Historically, when things bust, a lot of people lose everything they have. That's why God doesn't want you to fall into the trap, because God expects us Christians to pay off our debts. Bankruptcy is not a Christian option. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, the wicked person borrows and does not repay. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 says, better that you do not vow than that you vow and do not fulfill it. But as Christians, God expects us to steward what he gives us well so that we don't make vows, which when you take debt is making a vow, so that you don't have to claim bankruptcy, which then will most likely send your life into poverty. So you need a budget. You need to tell your money what it's going to do, or your money will end up telling you what to do. I see it far more often than I wish. And so how, do you, how does money tell you to act? Well, it says this, spend me, spend me. And it just tells you, right? You feel in your pocket. You get that, uh, maybe you get a refund at tax time, and it's just like, spend me, right? And then when you spend it, that credit card starts saying, Spend me, borrow more and more and more, right? That's the lie it tells you. But a budget is when you tell your money what to do. And if you don't have a budget, you need a budget. And you need to actually stick by the budget. That means at the start of the month, you look at what God has given you. Or if you're a business, you estimate it. And you tell that money where it's going. So you, you're going to God. You, you're going to help other people. You, you're going to pay bills. You, you're going into an emergency fund. You, you're going to... uh, to a retirement fund, you, you're going to entertainment. And once that entertainment is done, then it's done, right? You tell it where to go or it will tell you where to go. And then you'll have to borrow if you don't. And then you'll get in more debt. And then most of your budget will be taken up with interest payments, which leads to more bondage and less freedom. Last point. Debt is often passed on to the next generation in one way or another. Proverbs 13, verse 22 says, A good man, miss that, a good man or a woman leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. Notice it doesn't say to his children. Why? Because it's the expectation. A good man will leave, will be so financially savvy and good with their finances that they'll leave something to their grandchildren with the understanding that they're going to bless their children as well, right? And so, so God's model is that you're so spiritually savvy, your children and your grandchildren look at that, and if they're responsible, then you can bless them because you don't want to just bless people who are just going to waste it. Have we done that? Are we doing that for our children and our grandchildren? Are we as a nation doing that? Can you put up this thing? And, and some of you may not be able to see... This, this is called the U.S. Debt Clock. I encourage you to go and type it in, U.S. Debt Clock. It'll blow your mind. And all of these different numbers, I just want you to focus on the one in the left hand as you're looking at the left hand top corner. You see what that number says? That's the U.S.'s current debt, $30 trillion. That's what their children and grandchildren owe. That's what they've placed on the shoulders of their children and grandparents, $30 trillion. 
You know what it was in 2012, 10 years ago? $15 trillion. Boom, they doubled it. Thanks. Here you go, kids and grandchildren here. We're going to double your debt. You know what it's going to be in 2026, four years from now? We put that slide up. If they keep current spending at what it's at, $47 trillion. So we have in Canada $1.8 trillion. Uh, I, I crunched some numbers and I added if you to pay that federal debt and to pay the provincial debt, which our children and grandchildren, well, they say will, right? Um, you know what every citizen would have to pay right now to pay that off without including their personal debt? $60,000, every citizen. So all the little kids downstairs fork over a $60,000 check to pay off the government's debt. This is what the generations that are controlling things have put on the shoulders of their children and grandchildren. We can do it personally, too. My uh, good friend from the army, his parents were very irresponsible with money. And, and during their 70s and 80s now. And because of their irresponsibility, he's got three kids, but he doesn't want to see his parents. They lost their house a couple of years ago. And now he has to support his parents every month so they can live in a little rental near him. Because of their irresponsibility, they have put a burden on their children. And we don't want to do that to our children. And I'll be honest, when I became a Christian, when I was 27 in 2007, I got saved. I was like everyone else. I spent most of what I made. I had a house, uh, but at the end of the month, there wasn't usually that much left. Until I really, I wanted to get my life in line with God, and so I studied and, and learned from people wiser than me, how does God want me to manage my money? And, and, and so I've never been rich. I've never made more than the average person, the average Canadian makes. And, and so then I got married with my wife, who's always done things God's way, God first, generous with other people, pay our bills, save for uh, hard times, have an emergency fund. And so that we, following God's principles, listen, this is, and I'm not saying this to sound uh, like to hype myself up because I didn't do anything. And my wife and I didn't do anything. But now in our early 40s, we are in a place where we don't have debt by never making more than the average person makes, by following God's principles, by putting God first. We don't have that bondage. And that's what I want for you, not to have that bondage, to look into the future and say, yeah, I'm, I'm setting up the future so that I'm not a burden on my children and my grandchildren. I'm confident that we can go through lean times because I'm not in bondage to debtors. And, and so... Maybe you look at your finances right now and you're not where you want to be and you're in debt. Statistically speaking, two-thirds of the people in this room are in debt. And you're, you're a, a debtor to somebody or you want to pay off that mortgage or you're not putting away for your retirement. You don't have an emergency fund. You don't really know how to manage a budget. Well, we want to help you. We don't want to just tell you this and send you off. And so uh, when small groups end in May and in June, we are going to be running a series of courses. At Calvary, Pastor Mark and Pastor Dustin, they're going to be teaching some courses. And I'm going to be teaching a course on money. 
It's called The Total Money Makeover. It's, it's actually by a guy named Dave Ramsey who taught me a lot uh, about managing my money in a biblical way. And in that, uh, we are going to look at, and it'll be confidential, nobody else in the class will know what your debt is, but we're going to look in a very um, broken down way how to develop a budget, how to pay off debt in a way that is effective and fast, how to put aside money for, the, for later in life, how to build an emergency fund. We want to set you up. And so... I want you to be praying about that. It'll take an element of humility to say that oh, my, my finances maybe aren't in the place I want them to be, but it will be confidential, and we want you to become free financially so that those chains are not a burden on you. And I'll encourage you to do your weekly homework. It's going to give you just a, like a little introduction to what we're going to be teaching you uh, in the Total Money Makeover. And it's going to ask you some questions that you're going to have to examine. How are my finances? Am I prepared to go through lean times? Am I stewarding things the way God wants me to steward them? So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Mark to come up and he's going to lead us in communion. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your word. Your word is a light onto our path, onto our feet. And God, I know that it's so easy to get caught up in this immediate gratification culture we live in. And and we have to realize, as you've told us, that, that Visa isn't our friend. TD isn't our friend. They want us to borrow money so that we will pay them interest. But you want to be our only master because you're a good master. You're a master who gives. And so God, would you help us that we would uh, steward things the way we are called to steward them. And if, Lord, if if we look at our lives, if anyone looks at their lives, Lord, and they see, ah, my finances are not headed towards a good place, would you help them to humble themselves and just come forward when we do this course and, and to learn your principles in depth and develop a plan that will they will be able to give more of themselves to the kingdom of God and less of their lives to the bondage of debt. Pray these things and thank you for your word and your your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.